I'm Trevor Cummings, and these are my thoughts on money. Hello, and welcome to the Thoughts on Money podcast, what we like to call Tom. I am Trevor Cummings, your host of the Thoughts on Money podcast and your author of the Thoughts on Money blog, and I'm here with my dear friend, Mr. Sean Latimer, key the drum roll. Good morning. I probably shouldn't bang on the table. Uh, no, it's fine. That's uh, why uh, Lucas is here, to yeah. fix all the audio. So, uh, how are you doing this morning? Doing great. I, uh, I'm good. We had a good round of basketball this morning. I'm nice and tired, ready for a full day. How are you doing? I feel like I paid, played like 10 games, so uh, by the last time... <laughs> it was like I was, five, but felt like 10, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's pretty torched. Yeah, age will do that too. Um, this article was fun for me to write because the easiest person to poke fun at, where it's safe, is just to make fun of myself. I thought you were going to say me. <laughs> no, 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 I would, I would never do that. So uh, one of the things I highlighted today is, I don't know why I always go here, but this idea of if I only had a time machine... I would be the best investor in the world, which you should laugh when I say that because, uh, of course, that would be true. Uh, I referenced uh, one of my old-time favorite movies. I love the series of Back to the Future. In the second Back to the Future, uh, Biff hides in the car, goes uh, to the future, steals a Gray's sports almanac, uh, and then when they go back, he's obviously the best gambler in the world because he knows all the teams that are going to win. Yeah, sorry. Spoiler, if you haven't seen it. It's a really good movie. It is a great movie. So one of the things I highlighted was if I could go back in time, and again, we'll we'll give you a little bit more in the podcast than I gave you in the article. I don't know if I would totally change my decision. I'll give you some details on why. But I decided when I bought my most recent house to get a, a variable interest rate loan, meaning they would fix it for the first seven years and then it would be variable. The reason I feel like I'm kicking myself is if you look at mortgage rates, that went from you know nearly 2.65% all the way up to 7%. You've got to feel like, whew, I wish I would have locked that in for 30 years. But if I remember correctly, when you were getting the house, they weren't at 2.65. It they was weren't, good. No. which is why this article doesn't, yeah. isn't as good. I read it and I was like, wasn't it like 4 or 5? And then you thought, all right, well, if we think interest rates are going to go down in the next seven years, then you did exactly what I would do. Yeah, that's why you get a little bit more love in the podcast. But it, they were probably in, in the fours. And you could argue that it would have been better to be at four than six or seven. That, yes. that part makes sense. Yeah, but I guess the main thing was, man, those people that locked in 30 years at, you know, in in the zip code of two and a half percent, like high five, fist bump, good on you. Yeah, it definitely changes your perspective on debt when you know that you're borrowing uh, for less than half of everybody else right now. Yeah, it was almost nearly three times, right? If somebody's yeah. borrowing at, at the 7%. One of the things I talked about, though, when I made that decision, and, and you and I are referencing it right now, is I had some level of confidence of where I think things were going in the future, and I was wrong. But uh, I remember David came in in a recent advisor meeting, and he talked about uh, that freeze frame myth which typically the freeze frame myth uh, for folks that aren't familiar with it in in economics is used to talk about when you're making a speculation about the future and you're using current demographics or Mm -hmm. using current demand on um, a particular commodity, uh, you can fool yourself because you're taking a point in time and assuming that all trends and all things will go in the same direction as they are now. Why I think that gets people in trouble on the personal finance side is because when interest rates were as low as they were, everybody thought that interest rates would always be low. And then now, with interest rates as high as they are, people are posturing that interest rates will be 
as high as they are forever. You know, it's funny. Uh, I I get a, a mixed bag of opinions because I either get a holding pattern that they're like, I'm not going to do anything till they go back down. And I'm like, well, what if it's a long time? And they're like, then I'm not going to do anything. And that that part doesn't really work. But then you're right. There's other people that are like, well, rates are going to go up forever. I remember grandpa talking about a 14% interest rate. I guess that's what's going to happen. I'm like, well, I don't think so. But you're right. I think you're more right than me. The What I was referencing in the article is more of that holding pattern, which you're calling a holding pattern. I mentioned that same word in the article, but I also talked about people just sitting on their hands. Mm-hmm. In, in my career, I have never experienced... And again, I'm trying to think as I'm talking, but I don't think I've experienced this many people that are just in the do-nothing mode. Yeah, but isn't it reflecting? Yeah, there's there's a huge drop in transactions in real estate market, and, and a lot of people are, I think, just holding. So you're exactly right. I referenced one thing David talks about in DC Today about just the fact of where transactions are, right? He, he mentions that mortgage applications haven't been this low since, you know, some date in, in, in the 90s. But I'm also referencing investing. Yeah. How many clients do I have right now? And, and again, I'm not blaming them for this. I'm just saying this is a cultural norm right now where folks are moving extra money in, right? A ton of money coming out of the banking system in the money market to kind of get a little bit higher yield, but very, very little interest in going from that money market account into any sort of risk assets. Yeah, because when you're getting, you know, four, four and a half percent in a money market or a cash equivalent, it's really easy to sit on your hands. You don't feel like you're missing out. And I will ask you this question, though, and, and maybe this is something like a financial truth that isn't as obvious. But when you think of the real return, it's the exact same, right? When when interest rates were, I'm just making this up if you're okay with that. Yeah. Let's say interest rates were 1% and inflation was Three. 2%. There's two. Two, right? then, you know, the math isn't done exactly this way, but for podcasts, we'll do it this way. There's a little bit more arithmetic here, but one minus two, you're getting a negative one real return, right? Right. So let's say in money market now you're getting five and let's say inflation is the most recent print was like, let's say five or six, right? You're, you're still getting that negative outcome. So it's almost like fool's gold in that sense. Yeah, and we talk about the same thing with fixed income right now, that uh, rolling treasuries or, or being investment-grade bonds, you're you're committing with a por- that a portion of that money is not going to pace with inflation for now. And uh, if you're okay with that, great, but it should be looked at more of a reserve or there, it's earmarked to be spent in the near future. If the holding pattern is forever, that's not a good plan. Yeah, and one of the things I... I entered in the article was like, hey, let's just poke fun at Trevor because that's easy, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, in one sense, you're right. Uh, I might have fibbed a little bit in my story uh, because of when I made the purchase. If it was a little bit sooner, it would have been more true that it would be better to fix the interest rate. Um, but again, there's a lot of people out there that did and a lot of people that want to buy new homes or different things like that. And they're like, yeah, I just can't do it in, in this current environment. What I talked about next in the article is this idea of just no regrets. Like, be thoughtful make good decisions. And then we try to talk about this a lot on the podcast, but I don't think we could ever talk about it enough. Watch game film. Like if finance, personal finance is so much about behavior, your behavior, right? Unique to you, then you've got to be introspective and you've got to hit the pause button and say, hey, look back, why did I make that decision? And what was the outcome from that decision? So I'm being honest with myself. When I go back to that time, I just thought interest rates, and listen, if we argued we didn't know where they went from here, I actually never thought they would hit seven, 
right? That wasn't even in my realm of possibility. So if they were in the fours, I was probably thinking, oh, they'll they'll tap on the four and a quarters, and then they'll head directly back to three. Maybe they won't. But I had that freeze frame myth where I was making planning decisions on speculation, right? Somebody like myself who's like very anti-speculation, but I was hinging part of the decision on some sort of speculation or confidence of, of what I thought the future was going to be. And one thing is you, you knew that you guys really wanted the house and it was going to be your primary residence and you're going to probably be there almost like a forever home, right? So I think when you factor those things in, it's not do it, should I buy the house? It's I'm going to buy the house. What's the best way to do it? And that part's unknown, you know? So I, I don't think you did anything wrong. Thank you. I feel much better. <laughs> well, what's your advice then? And I know it's not blanket, but let's at least pull on thread and start the conversation. Uh, let's say that somebody, based on their needs, based on their financial plan, they should be fully invested, right? I'm kind of making this up, but let, yeah. let's say that they, they should be fully invested and everything that their plan requires as far as rates of return would would justify that that is the, the, the right allocation, that they should have some significant allocation to risk assets. And they're telling you like, hey, let's sit on the sidelines. Let's say, see how this all plays out. I typically just try to ask the thought process because normally when someone tells me, I want to keep, I'm just going to use a big number to make it easier, half my money on the sideline for now. I'm thinking I must not understand the full story because last time we did the plan and last time we put all this together, we determined that you needed a 6% rate of return with the majority of your assets for your financial plan to be successful. So if you're taking half of that and you're saying, I'm okay getting four and a half, but like what we talked about, the real return is essentially flat with inflation, maybe negative, right? I must misunderstand and maybe something changed in their circumstances where they're either going to spend less money, which I doubt, or uh, maybe they do uh, have some sort of emergency or upcoming expense. But if it is based off of their uh, gut feeling or just investment decisions, I think we really need to have a deeper conversation. And then now let me flip that into real estate because I'm, I'm poking on the same thing of that idea of fear, right? So I come to you. And I'm like, hey, Sean, I found this house that I love. And uh, it's a, we, we're current homeowners, but it's a little bit bigger. It's in the neighborhood for my kids, all, all those things, right? Um, and I say, am I an idiot for buying a house right now? Granted, I know it depends on the circumstance, but let's just talk through it because I, I feel like they're not an idiot. I know. I don't think so. No, my sister just bought a condo last month and she's been saving for years and she's really excited about it. And interest rates probably higher than she wants. But she can afford the monthly payment, and she's been saving, and she's really excited. So, like, I look at that, and she plans on living there forever. I think in, you look back in 10 and 20 years from now, and I have a feeling that there will be no regret that she got the place she wanted. And one thing that you're probably doing there, you're not speculating. And I want to draw attention that you, you can a reasonable person can believe something about the future without putting their entire confidence. I really liked what you highlighted. She can afford the monthly payment. In addition, there's like an asterisk where you probably believe in the back of your mind, she's not going to keep that debt for 30 years. Mm-hmm. Why? Because she probably is going to refinance it as interest rates come down. Because there is correlation between where interest rates sit and you know GDP growth and, and different things like that. So in the back of your mind, you're like, man, this is, this is actually kind of a good thing. You know what? I want to change my answer. Go ahead. Not change it, 
but I think it depends on what they're buying it for. I've had a lot of people come to me asking about investment properties, and that's where it's very different because then it's based off of a math formula. If they're financing a majority of the home and what they're hoping to rent it for and what the actual rate of return or if if it's even able to cover all the expenses, that is completely different than if someone's planning on buying a house that they can afford the payments and they're going to live there hopefully forever. It's two totally different things in my eyes. Got it. On the investment side, should somebody factor in that in their calculation within the next five years that they'll refinance that debt at a lower rate? I I think it it depends on their balance sheet. If they can afford the higher monthly payment without it uh, impeding their uh, their saving or spending or screwing up anything in the plan, then I say sure. But I think if they're calculating the actual investment and what their rate of return, they have to assume that rates are going to stay higher in the meantime. I like that. So you're kind of saying assume worst case scenario yeah. that things are high. If they go higher, it actually doesn't matter, right? Because you've already locked in your interest rate. But assume that it is this for 30 years. Does it still pencil? Perfect. And let's say the penciling is tight. Like but really tight. Like how many times have you had clients and they're looking at a second home and you're like, ah, if something goes south, you're in big trouble. I have clients looking at a first home and I feel like Yeah, that. that's true. That's true. <laughs> no. So, okay, that makes sense. So then what you really do is you say, hey, is this a... I don't know the perfect way to phrase this, but is this a decent investment uh, if none of the variables changed? And then your next question would be, hey, I actually believe one of the variables will change, which is interest rates coming down. But I have to weight that from a risk perspective because it might not be true. So it almost has to be uh, like I love like Warren Buffett transitioned. I think the the Benjamin Graham thought was by, um, you know, any company at a great price where Warren Buffett's like, time out. I don't want to, what they used to call cigarette butt investing or no cigar butt investing, where it's like, I just want to grab a cigar that somebody threw out and take the few final puffs from it. You know what I mean? Where Buffett was like, ah, I don't know. You just start buying a lot of really questionable companies, right? So then he kind of transitioned his, his mantra or his mindset to say, I want to buy good companies at a great price. Does that make sense? So I think that's what you're saying here is that it almost has to pencil as like a good investment. And if things worked out in your favor, like there was that tailwind of rates coming down, then it would almost become a great investment. Yeah. Well said. I thought of something when you're talking about the freeze frame. Uh, A lot of people just assume that everything that's happening now will continue. It happens. I know I talk about this a lot, but it happens on both sides where um, let's say like someone's income is a lot higher the last few years. And so spending increases, and then they just kind of uh, fall into this trap where they're like, well, you know, if my income stays as high for the next 10 years, I'll be able to afford that mortgage payment. I can afford that rental property. I can afford this. And and I'm always like, wait, let's like back, especially if they work in sales or something like that. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. Like, so what happened? What, why did the income go so up? Well, after COVID, this happened. We had opportunity on the market. And I'm like, will it stay that way? And they're like, oh, I don't know. Things are very slowed down. And then I can almost like, it's almost like watching a car crash. I'm like, wait, back, back up. Why would you expect your income to stay there if it's already slowing down? Oh, it's just a fluke, this, that. And it's like, ah, don't make 30-year decisions when you're uncertain about something like that. That's a really good point because if it's bad if you're assuming that all things stay the same. It's worse if you think all things stay the same for 10 years. It's even worse if you think they stay the same for 20 years. Yeah. And it's horrible if you think they stay the same for 30 years, right? Like there's things that are going to happen to you and me next week that we're gonna be like, huh. 
surprise, didn't see that coming in life, right? That's just just how life is. So when you start grabbing a financial calculator and you're like, okay, uh, pencil, all things stay the same, compounded times 30 years, like, <laughs> man, I, I am going to be in, in great shape. Um, so that, that probably is where the advice comes of like, always have a plan B, plan C. And, you know, we've talked about this idea of expense-based planning, where we've uh, analogized it to this idea if you were you know, creating a new building, like why you would need multiple fire exits, because you never know where the fire is going to be. So that's a great point. Uh, and I, I've seen that a lot. As you're saying, and I'm thinking of a, a particular situation where somebody was making quite good income, and they just kept getting new mortgages and new properties because they wanted to build up like a real estate portfolio. And then everything was hinging on such thin ice. Because if the income stopped, it was the domino effect on all these other things, which takes us back to the original point. Most destruction happens with over leverage, right? Yeah. It, it's, it's something works and then you turn a little leverage and a little bit more and a little bit more. And what ends up happening is that leverage can absolutely amplify the upside, which is the reason people do it. But man, they forget that it can also amplify the downside. That reminds me of that movie. Um, I don't know. Lucas, are we allowed to quote movies or say movies? Yeah, yeah sure. The, the, the big short. I remember he's like talking to uh, some young lady and he's like, oh, so you have this like bad mortgage on one place and the second mortgage is on the same place. She's like, no, I have like three or five or whatever she says houses. And he's like, oh, my God, it's a bubble. It's a bubble. And it it, it just kind yeah, of you're talking to some young lady, right? So Yeah, I don't, I don't <laughs> want to get into the details. <laughs> it's a it's kind of a crazy movie, but yeah. it, it tells a good story that, you know, that leverage that if the income stops, it is a domino effect. And uh, the, those loans are expensive. Yeah. So we will kind of steer the ship towards closing this podcast out. But one of the things that I want to end with is that if everyone around you is sitting on their hands and if you can pinpoint, which I will say this, that it is relative to anxiety and fear, I want to remind people that if you're an investor, then you have goals. And if you have goals, there's little financial decisions that you have to make to meet the objectives of those goals and your goals are not going to go on a timeout. And I feel like in 2023, everybody's like timeout this year doesn't count. Everyone's going to sit on the bench and we're going to wait for things to kind of normalize. I don't think things ever normalize. You know, you and I have watched that YouTube video where it shows, you know, the the, the stock market measured by the S&P 500 and it's just different covers of the time magazine. And you're like, oh, wow, like I'm not stressing about what people were stressing about 20 years ago. And in a year from now, I won't be stressing about the debt ceiling or the Fed's next decision or whatnot. So fear is always going to be creeping and knocking at your door. And I will agree that the level of uncertainty or anxiety feels greater today than normal. But you have to have the... I don't even know what word I would use, but you have to have the strength to be able to say, what is my financial plan? What are those objectives? And set fear aside and take one step closer to those objectives. Even if it means like, like you always say, I live in the extremes, right? Even if it means like, hey, I'm just going to leave this all in cash. It's like, wait, time out. What if we just dollar cost average in? Because ultimately we need to get to this allocation based on your financial plan. Yeah, and I would say that uh, you mentioned the article, but have no regrets too, because uh, once you make the decision to stick with the plan, uh, you do have to stick with it. And uh, 
you're not going to realize in a six month period or 12 month period, if it was the right decision, it's going to take years to, to figure out. And, uh, I, that's, and Warren Buffett said that often, it, it, you have to be bold and let that compounding happen to, to be an, a true investor. Yeah. So it's almost that question, like, can you make a good decision and have a bad outcome? Yeah. yeah we talked about it in, uh, one of our podcasts during the COVID moment. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then sometimes, uh, people measure bad outcomes too early, right? It wasn't, we weren't wrong. We were just early. <laughs> yeah. I, I think about that too, a little bit of a tangent, but, um, with all the stuff going on with regional banks, yeah. right? So, uh, for me, and, and I always go back to my own experience cause I need to like go through like, game film. I need to go through things I've experienced before and, and not say that, you know, uh, it's accredited to Mark Twain, but who knows if he actually said it, um, is the fact that history doesn't repeat itself, but it sure does rhyme. Mm-hmm. So I remember when we were adding to energy positions in that COVID moment. And for the rest of 2020, that was still painful. Yeah, And it was like, ah, that did not feel good. But dear Lord, there was a significant reward for investors looking at energy positions, you know, I guess it depends on what energy positions, but in, in, in 21 and in 22, as far as the sector, uh, it looked a lot different than the market. Yep. So in this moment where regional banks are getting absolutely tortured, uh, if an investor has done the diligence and, and understands one particular investment well, um, could it be like that moment? I don't know. History doesn't always repeat itself, but it does rhyme. And, and, and it, you can't measure outcomes too early. So it takes you back to that idea of like, okay, like trust the process almost. Yeah. It's funny. You talk about the regional banks. Um, and I, I, I don't know if we're allowed to use individual names, but no, we won't. No, no. Yeah. What, one of them that did not fare well to mm-hmm. say that, um, I remember talking to another advisor and, uh, they definitely have a more aggressive approach, right? Uh, they, they trade a lot of options and, and he, he was a hundred percent convinced he goes, the, the Fed backstop, there's no way they let it fail, you know, this, that. And I remember sitting there thinking, I'm like, oh, man, like, maybe he's on to something because it was trading into, you know, single dollars after being a lot higher. And then I thought, well, but if he's wrong, though, just taking those types of risks with client capital, like, you better have a pretty good argument or make sure that you sized it the right way. But I and then what ended up happening with that bank, all those options are gone. And I was like, wow. I'm sure that was a bad day for him. Yeah, it takes you back to that concept of diversification. Like everybody listening to this podcast knows this idea of like not all your eggs in one basket. We say that so much, but why? Because if you're riding a bike and you have a bunch of eggs in the basket and you fall over, they all crack. Is that where it came from? I don't know, but <laughs> I went with it. But in, in reality, whether you know, you're riding a bike or you're, you're walking, like if all your eggs are in that basket and you fall, what's happening? Every single egg's going to break. So in, in this concept, it was a good reminder for investors, reminder, equity holders can go to zero, right? And it, it matters where you are on the balance sheet and it matters the diligence that you do. It's it, freeze frame theory, right? We freeze frame to what a former price was and, and we say, oh, you know, that we've anchored there. Yeah. That's the destination. Even it's, if it gets half that, I'll be so happy. Da, 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 da. Yeah. How many times do we have to talk about this podcast, but it, we can never say it enough that something you could cut in half forever. <laughs> That's you true. know, you and I happen to, as, as, for fun, uh, with, with, you know, careful about the, the human beings that were impacted by that particular bank. But we were looking at that price every day because, you know, I had friends texting me with questions and, uh, you know, something was 30, went to 15, which went to 750, which went to, you know, 375, which went to, you know, like, and you're like, oh, wow, 
regardless of how far something's fallen, um, forever you can cut something in half. That's right. Uh, it's, a, it's a truth of math. So um, we will wrap it up there, but uh, I did end with an FDR quote um, in the throes of the Great Depression where he said, the only things we have to fear is fear itself. And I would caution you that because investing is such an emotional activity that's based in so much on your behavior, you have to be conscious about your fears and your anxieties and how that drives your decision making. So like I said, your goals never go to sleep. Um, so if you thought that you can just hit the entire pause button for 2023, um, I'll be the first one to tell you that 2024 will have another monster that will scare you that you don't even know about today. So the end encouragement is always the same. Uh, if you've done that, if you press pause, uh, start a dialogue with your financial advisor. And not everything has to be in the extreme, like we said. You can inch towards, you can baby step towards um, where the decision should be. Uh, you don't have to just rip the Band-Aid off or, or, or something of that nature. But hopefully this is helpful. We'll ask that you rate the podcast. Obviously, five stars are preferred. You can leave comments on the podcast. It helps us to uh, get more listeners. And uh, all questions are welcome. An easy email to remember is Tom, T-O-M, at thebonsagroup.com. You can reach Sean or Trevor on that email. Happy to take your feedback, your ideas, your questions. Um, and, of course, we will be back next week with more of our Thoughts, Thoughts on, on Money. Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor before establishing a retirement plan.